ஹலோ எவ்ரி ஒன் வெல்கம் டு இன்ஃபோசெக் கேம்பஸ் செக் டூல்ஸ் போட்காஸ்ட் ஐ எம் யுவர் ஹோஸ்ட் சனுப் தாமஸ் திஸ் இஸ் அவர் ஃபார்ட்டீத் எபிசோட் அண்ட் வி ஹேவ் அ கெஸ்ட் கிறிஸ்டின் ஃபலனி தோஸ் ஹூ ஆர் இன் இன்ஃபோசெக் நோஸ் கிறிஸ்டின் ஃபார் ஹிஸ் ஒர்க் ஸ்பெஷலி ஆன் மோட் செக்யூரிட்டி கோல்ட் கோர் ரூல் செட்ஸ் கிறிஸ்டின் வெல்கம் டு த ஷோ ஹே தேங்க்ஸ் ஃபார் ஹேவிங் மீ சனுப் ஆசம் கிறிஸ்டின் ஸ்ட்ரெயிட் அவே I my first question is like how did you get into infosec how did you how did you get started everybody's journey is quite unique and and interesting and i would be so much happy to hear about how what was your journey into infosec yes uh, i fall into the same quite unique uh, area as everybody does so i studied history medieval history european medieval history to be precise i even uh, continued with a phd so i'm a doctor in medieval history and then i applied an open air museum and they were not interested in me and i was seriously annoyed so i went to work with a colleague of mine as an it system administrator i'd always had an interest in it but focused on history but then it's hard to get a job in the end in that area so i started as a, a system administrator like 20 years ago and then quickly realized that this web server business and the whole security around is actually quite interesting so i was more and more specializing in that direction and then something interesting happened uh, there was uh, an internal audit happening for a customer of mine so and they were looking how we look at, we develop these web servers and configuration they were really quite good and then they pointed us to this mod security thing which is fairly new module around that time it was maybe 2005 or 6 and i had never heard about this thing and they even had a book about it um or a book mentioning and then we decided yeah yeah actually yeah if if the internal audit department thinks we need more security and they recommend that let's take a look and then i fell in love with it i thought mod security was really really interesting and it's uh, at least back in the day it was also very complicated and i thought hey that's that that's really complex that's interesting that's challenging that's something i could find a niche for myself and i think there was a conscious decision around 2006 and then i specialized in it and went probably down the rabbit hole for like 10 or 15 years i yeah used to work at and integrated that a lot i got a lot of experience i had a family i have multiple kids now and then around 2015 or 16 so like a 10 years of experience with that i started to get really really involved in the community uh ivan ristich the original developer of the module asked me to take over the quasi official handbook to write the second edition for him and the the project you mentioned uh, the ovas mod security coral set uh, had died down a bit uh, so it was really slow um, and we were we formed a new group of people to revive the project and that's how i got really involved and now i'm one of the leaders of the project and that's how 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 it all started so i think i'm the average non it background person that gets interested and hooked on interesting problems and then specializes and learns as he moves along and, and then you you find your niche or you do something else and i think i found mine it's so it's good fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's keeping you busy for quite some years now Yeah yeah I absolutely lost and I really specialize like 80% of my time is now spent on mod security corals and integrating it uh 
running the project, consulting people, conceptual work, advising people how they could start teaching, writing about it. It's it's all around the topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, Ivan Rustic started this 20 years back. Um, and yes. you uh, picked up the core rule set uh, probably in the next year or the year after, I guess. Um, no, we, we picked up, uh, how's that go? Okay, so he wrote the engine. Yeah. Mod security is an engine. It processes stuff. But by itself, it doesn't bring you security. All the mod security is a tool set or the, the stuff that allows you to inspect the request. It doesn't inspect the request by itself. It's just the engine. And then you need to do rules. And the rules then do the inspection or execute the inspection and tell you this is good or bad. Now, even Ristage uh, as a developer was not overly interested in, in these rules. So, so he wouldn't really write rules himself. And there was a guy called Ofrushizav who started the core rules at project 2007 and he said look we cannot possibly gift this engine to our customers and think they will then write the rules themselves so that's really complicated so let's have a basic set of rules it gives you basic generic coverage when you conduct uh, business over the internet via http then you need this as a basic security filter uh, and that's how this this started so he did this for couple of years, two, three years. Then uh, a person named Ryan Burnett took over, also wrote uh, an additional book about it. Mm -hmm. So a handbook of web defense. And he let the project, yeah, I wouldn't say die, but there wasn't much movement anymore in 2013, 14. And at the end of 2015, he quit his job and his successor then asked me and another friend, Walter Hopp from the Netherlands, but if we were interested to wipe the project. So we formed a new team a new vision and then revive the project with a new focus on mostly usability documentation and getting better having better rules having better protection provide better protection and make it more accessible for people so they don't have to kill themselves when they try this the first time mod security can be really complicated and it improved a lot during the year is not the least because our rules now basically work when you deploy them uh, you have to imagine uh, they were written in a way as soon as you would deploy them the first time the web application would stop to work because of all the false positive defaults alarms it would flag attacks all over the place stop 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 stop, stop, stop. and the application came to a halt immediately and now we improved the default installation we took out the aggressive overly aggressive rules and what is in default installation usually works so unless you have really a crazy application that does things that really, really look suspicious, then you're pretty well off. The default installation might be rough edges, but basically. Yeah, uh, you brought up a good point that uh, if you add every security measures to an applications and probably you need to shut down the application at some point because everything looks like suspicious and, and um, you know, attack, attack patterns and writing this probably what um around 10 15 years back would be a quite challenging role what how did you get started with it like if i'm taking you back to the early stage of like initial versions of mod security 101 what was your main challenge of building this core, core rule set okay so i didn't start initially okay. i know what offer shizaf did uh -huh. so he was simply going to google uh, and looked for attack patterns. 
And has somebody written the regular expressions that detect cross-site scripting attacks? Mm -hmm. Are there uh, regular expressions to detect uh, SQL injections and, uh, and other attack types? And if there is nothing, he would make it up, write it themselves. Basically at first and then more and more complicated. I think he did a huge job and were the literal dwarf standing on his shoulders because he collected over a hundred rules of those. Mixed quality, admittedly, but I mean, the amount of stuff he got together. Now, he's not an archivist and he's not a historian. So what we ended up was regular expressions, but without any notes where he got them from. Mm. And, and then he continued to elaborate. And then there was no telling us where the sources of this is. I mean, it's hard to look for regular expressions on the internet anyway, because Google doesn't yeah. do regular expression search. And, no, nor the other sites. So, so we kind of ended up with complicated regular expressions without knowing where this was actually coming from. And at first we didn't really understand it because this is quite special about our project. They're machine optimized. Mm -hmm. They're not readable. So if you think regular expressions are hard to read, then go and read our regular expressions <laughs> because standard regular expression kind of sketchy but you can find out how it really works but our machine optimized ones you're dead it's completely unintelligible what is happening and you when you have only that you don't really know what the rule is doing so at a given moment a couple of years back a swiss lady uh, francisca bueller sat down and disassembled them by hand so she took the machine version machine version and went back to the source, so to say. So there is a machine processor involved and there is no code to do the other way. So there is no helper program that disassembles it. Yeah, we have a helper that does the assembly, but we don't have a disassembler. So she had to do this by hand and she took like two or three weeks to do this for all the machine optimized versions. And now we know what the sources is. We still don't know where they come from. I mean. With some of them, it's obvious. So this is a collection of SQL commons, but with others, it's just magic. And you think, oh yeah, yeah, I see what uh, what the rule is trying to do. Uh, these are typical snippets that you would see in a cross-site scripting attack and then assemble this into a rule and then it kind of works. So doing this today would probably be easier because there is so much, uh, attack know-how around so many guides or uh, on twitter there is for example the hashtag uh, uh, bug bounty tips yep. or you go you go for a waf bypasses and these will then all be highly sophisticated attack patterns and if you make a collection of these and then you try to do find the common denominator and then write this into regular expression then you're getting there and the problem is apparently it's not always quite clear is this uh, malicious or is this vanilla code is this just a standard request um, uh, in if it's clear cut then it's obviously look at it and look hey this is an SQL injection everybody see this yeah. but I give you a different example uh, if you take table tennis ping pong for example now ping is a unix command and pong could be a host name so ping pong could be a ping command to the host pong. It's just not. 
it's table tennis. <laughs> However, for, for the processor, this sounds like an attack because uh, ping, a ping comment is very typical in an attack. For a remote command execution, you would do a ping to an external host. Mm -hmm. And if you get the, the, the IP packet, the ICMP packet, actually, yeah. if you get this, then you know, hey, the remote command execution works. I could execute the ping. Wow, here I am. So the ping is a very good uh, a good sign that this is something fishy in this request. It's just the ping is also an English word. And Pong could be table tennis. So for us, it's relatively hard to find out whether ping pong in a in an HTTP request is benign yeah. or malicious. And we have to make a guess. And that that I think this is the essence of the difficulty of writing attack detection rules. Yeah. And then this a hundred times fold more complicated. Yeah, I think more complex attack patterns will be like much more difficult to build like a like a single line regex pattern for it. It's uh, actually the complicated attack patterns are easier. Okay. Because they're easy to identify. Uh -huh. It's the simple stuff like ping pong that is very hard to identify. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you could you could say nowadays there are a lot of API applications yeah. around. HTTP API is highly structured. I mean, it's always the same endpoint. It's always the same stuff. So that that's relatively easy. If you would write an allow list around it, you mm -hmm. would say, look, these endpoints are allowed. The rest is all all, all illegal. Uh, but then the, the requests are relatively simple and it's hard to do generic rules that find out this is malicious. Now with free text applications, where I do online mailing or I have a remark field that I fill out with stuff, that's much harder because people tend to write in crazy stuff in these forms because they have to, because for whatever reason, there might be SQL system, database system administrators and they would exchange SQL queries via mail. And mm -hmm. then of course it all looks like an attack, but it's just administrators uh, give it, look, do the following query. Yeah. <laughs> and that is so hard uh, for us, honestly. I mean, in the end, we just flag it. If it's an SQL query, then it's an attack. And these guys are just in a hard position. Uh, but for free from text, we're quite good, but there's really the risk of um, false positives. Uh, uh, let me finish this, but give you an additional examples. Uh, what sounds very funny sometimes is people's addresses, their mail address, like 45 Union Street. Like 45 Union Street is a typical English UK address uh, because Union Street is fairly frequent actually. Uh, but Union Street is a Cortinesque company. Yeah. So 45 Union Street would be flagged back in the day as clear cut SQL. Uh -huh. uh, but then it's not. So we had to find a way because there were so many false positives and all the people living on Union Street doing a registration online site. And it was always flagged as an attack. Uh, so we had to take, take this away, uh, be a bit less sensitive about it, be a bit smarter if it's really SQL or just an address. So we improved that. I think ping pong might still be an attack, but Union Street is gone. <laughs> okay. Um, now this is actually like an OWASP flagship project, right? I guess it's still a flagship project, if I'm not wrong. Yes, it is. Absolutely. 
um and what was that transition i i'm assuming that in the beginning it was not an under ovas but it was like an independent project but then it was yes um how how it was that transition uh it wasn't actually independent it belonged to the company that had purchased uh, mod security Just and a, the guy i mentioned offered his app he was the cto of that company Oh, I said, "Hey, look, we're now having this product. We don't have the rules." So he wrote the rules, and that was under uh, an Israeli company called Breach. It's no longer oh, existing, uh, and but it was not independent. So he ran the show, and then uh, Ryan Burnett stepped in and ran the show for a couple of years. And around 2010, the company was acquired mm-hmm. by Trustwave. Okay. And Ryan Burnett thought it was a good moment to uh, move the rules at Project away. Mm-hmm. and he asked Owas whether Owas was interested in taking this over and given it was an established project and Owas was maybe a bit less formal uh, 12 years ago it was made flagship immediately okay and yeah. back in the day i guess the Owas top 10 was a flagship project yeah. CRS was a flagship project maybe Owas SAP already and the application security standard around 5 or so back in the day but for for many years it was it was formally an owas project but owas had no, nothing to do with it really mm-hmm. it was only uh, around 2016 when we made our first major release as a new team that it really moved away from the us company that had acquired breach and we say hey no no we're really independent now and nobody from our team is working at the company anymore Uh, and then we also got more and more involved with OWASP, uh, more meetings, more stuff happening. And also, so we're now serious with sponsorship and that runs through OWASP. So they do our accounts, mm-hmm. they handle the money for us. We're, I think we're much more into OWASP now than back in the day. It was more formal. Yeah, yeah we appeared on the website, but that was all to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, one part of more security that I uh, admire is that firewall in general was like a black box for many of us uh, when starting like back in the days right like when you have a waf a waf becomes like a complete black box that does protections in the magic a mode security changed the whole idea of like you can actually see what's happening inside the waf you can see what rules are there running and you can modify the rules so it gives a more educational also more than just protecting the website it just it just opens a lot of area for security researchers on attack side and defense side both you are writing i mean you are you already authored books for mode security as well what was still more challenging writing tech rules or educating people about firewalls <laughs> uh that's a good question that's a good question i i think you're totally right pointing out that running a transparent open source waf adds a lot of information and insight into the application usually when you have tuned an application or looked the mod security and looked for the false positives and tuned them away you usually know more about the behavior of the application than the developers mm-hmm. developers tend to write uh, code in their framework and do not really expose to http what is really sent across the wire because they only look at the framework and framework is an abstraction of that so and mod security forces you to look into this so as you move along you will learn a lot about http you really understand how the protocol really really works uh, so it's highly educational and it's really useful you could say yeah i'm not secure i'm not so interested in that blah blah blah, blah. but uh, 
knowing about HTTP is really, really important knowledge. I mean, if you work on the web, apparently, and that's great to learn all these things. And mod security is like a tool or gives you leverage to learn this. And it just happens as you debug mod security problems. So um, it's like the, the only, apparently only uh, at, uh, open source or general purpose open source web application firewall. And if you have maybe a hundred uh, commercial WAFs on the market, then maybe a third of them are based on the mod security engine. And an additional third uh, runs their own engine, but also CRS. Mm -hmm. So CRS, I'm confident then more than half, maybe two thirds of all web application firewalls on the market uh, are using CRS. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you, you could say when, when you buy a VAV, chances are you're probably getting CRS under the hood. Most of these uh, offerings are not transparent about it. You find it somewhere, uh, the rules we're using are, is CRS, and then some are not. But generally you get CRS. What integrators or these vendors often or usually do is they make a selection of the rules. So you get like 80% CRS. This is typically the case with the... Uh, the content delivery networks, when you've got Cloudflare, uh, Azure, Akamai, name all them, uh, you'll get a subset of the rules. And I think there is not quite transparent around what you're getting, but you can kind of find out, but it takes a bit of expert knowledge. Um, so just to get there. And then so th this is the rough side. And now educating people around that or then writing rules. I think educating people is fairly straightforward because it's so transparent and it's very logical and it's very mechanical. Mm -hmm. So um, the what is difficult is the rules are hard to read. So if mm -hmm. I teach mod security to people and they look at it, then it takes a bit of time to really get hang how this really works. Mm -hmm. But then it's absolutely unmatchable. It's really hard mechanics. It's just do this, do the following, and then this happens. So, once you understand it, it's always the same and it's really transparent. Uh, what is difficult out, outside of, of understanding this for the first time is make it stick. Because mm -hmm. if it's something complicated and you're not doing this uh, every day, at least for, for a couple of weeks, a month, then you quickly lose them. So I have people in my course and I have to admit uh, that one year afterwards, they face a problem, then you're stuck. Seriously, mm -hmm. if, if they haven't worked on that after one year, it's it's black magic again. However, if they follow my course and I do a, a two-day standard course so, and it's a bit up like zero to hero in two days, and that really works. If the week afterwards they start to work with that, I hardly ever get any questions mm -hmm. because it's all there, it's fresh, and they learn about this. And I get questions when they say, hey, look, I have something very peculiar now. I have the following request. It's not being detected. And I want to write a rule now. Could you help me writing that rule? And they, they tend to ask me for that because writing rules is advanced and I'm usually not really teaching that. I would say in the two-day course, I'm teaching reading rules. So you kind of need to know what, what is happening there. But writing it yourself, is a bit more advanced. Also, because I give a moment, this complicates regular expression kicks in and then gets really hairy. Uh, so writing rules, mm, yeah, it, it's more complicated than the rest of it. But even that, 
uh, what is what is complicated about the core rule set is they're highly optimized, machine optimized, and they're very generic. So they won't hit everything. Mm -hmm. When you write a rule for something very clear, it's just this request, that, then it's not that complicated. Man. What is, uh, yeah, the, the lock for J yeah. attacks, for example, we mostly had them by default. And what was special about uh, lock for J? It was a string Jindy. So mm -hmm. J N D I. Yeah. And is Jindy an English word? No, it's not. Is it going to appear in a lot of free text forms? Probably not. So if you see Jindy, then it's clear cut. This is probably an attack. At least if you rush into it, deploy something quick, just go for Jindy, deploy. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's hit by that, let's talk, but usually that'd be okay. It gets more complicated in week two or three when people started to do workarounds mm -hmm. around the Jindy string. So Jindy would not appear, but still the same attack. Uh, then it gets hairy, but simple rule is not that mm -hmm. complicated, I would say. And you can take an existing rule and change the pattern. And then you have the same mechanism for different pattern. And then it's really simple. Yeah, similar things, um, like if, you, if there is any different patterns, then you can change that into maybe um, a same pattern of attacks, but change the syntax or somewhere. I think it's yeah, really, exactly. yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. makes that, sense. That's, that's really doable and yeah. just dive into it. Yeah. What, what is also very helpful nowadays is you don't have to deploy this yourself to try it out. Mm. There is a sandbox, uh, the, the core rule set sandbox, where you can try it out. You go with Postman or curl, we do curl most of the time, and then you try out. Mm -hmm. uh, try if this is blocked or not. And or you de then uh, deploy a Docker container, write your own rules, and try it out via curl. and see the behavior it's easy to get going nice yeah. you have maintained or you have been with the project or at least seen the project's evolution ups and downs all three all yeah. these years what do you consider as most challenging time or what what is the most challenging things to handle when you are maintaining like an open source project especially like a core rule set that has significant um, community influence, like a lot of people actually looking up to the project um, or utilizing yeah. the project. What was the most challenging thing? Yeah, uh, I did a presentation last week around this topic. Uh -huh. So I attended the, the first security conference in Dublin and I was talking about maintaining an yeah. open source project uh, and make sure you're not alone because uh, maintaining a critical project on your own is really, really hard work and, and very, not very thankful. So it's a lot better if you're a group of people. Mm -hmm. And I would say this is crucial element. You want to be a group of people. Uh, and the more apparently the better, it gets complicated as well. Let's say, let's say a dozen of people is kind of nice and then you can start to, to get things moving. Mm -hmm. And we're right now at this stage. So I think the outside of, of the technique, of course, and, and all that is complicated around the engine and mod security, writing rules, uh, what is challenging and that's not a technical problem at all. And that makes it so challenging for techies. Yeah. The non-technical problems are difficult ones. Uh, is getting the group of people together. I mean, you need to find volunteers and we're not paying them. Mm -hmm. So the, what we have to offer is you spend a lot of time writing complicated regular expressions that are mind-boggling in complexity uh, and it's not very thankful and you do this for fun and you maybe we'll never be get anything out of this just spend your time on this and finding 
the mindset of people that are interested to do this. I mean, that these are crazy people. Right? Who would work for free on something complicated? That's not very rewarding on top. Or and make it, make it rewarding for people. I mean, make it fun somehow. Make it something they enjoy. Or uh, foster an environment of people where they get an applause if they do something. Uh, finding a community, setting up a community that says, hey, this is great. You did an impressive amount of work. I mean, I wish I could write something so complicated. And I'm now definitely in a position where I look at our new developers and they're doing things that I, I hardly understand anymore because they're so advanced now. They're, and we have a few people that are really, really good with writing regular expressions mm -hmm. and really tiny details and smarts and then... Uh, performance optimize them and then do the next step, but then consolidate them. And I go, Ooh, I, I'm giving up here. I, I just make sure you have all you need to do your work. And I work around it and I prepare everything for you. Can I, can I bring you drinks basically like this? And I think for an open source project, this is hard. And I mean, there is a lot of open source around the world, apparently. Uh, there is less security open source project yep. around because they're harder to do, more advanced. It takes it takes a higher skill set, and there are less people working security anyway. I mean, there are a lot of people writing uh, content management systems and plugins and web applications and cool features and looks very fancy. But then the security projects where you need to be really, really sure of what you're doing. It's highly critical, security sensitive, and so on. There are less people doing that there are important security project under open source of course but a lot of them coming from commercial companies so they run as open source or it's open source core and then they make money on plugins and stuff like that and we're we're entirely open so i think this is from my perspective is quite unique uh, in a sense and it's challenging to find people and keeping that at bay and make them feel good about this Make them make them happy in the end. I think that, that that is the really challenging thing. As a commercial company, I can just pay somebody money to do a boring yeah. work, and we cannot. We have to make the boring work look interesting. <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean, it's it's a hard truth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Christian. I think it was amazing actually talking to you and and get some cool insights about a core rule set project. Uh, wish you all the best for the project in the future releases as well. Yeah, thank you very much, Snoop. That was good fun. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. We'll see you in the next episode.